Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, DFI's Rumble, we will be speaking with opposing industry representatives, asking hard questions and facilitating a polite argument. In this episode, Designer versus Contractor, Dan Brown will be representing designers and Marty McDermott will be representing contractors. Sponsored by ECA. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Lakina Garajan, and welcome to DFI Rumble, where we ask two guests to enter the arena and go toe-to-toe on topics relevant to our industry. In this episode, Morgan Neesmith referees a discussion between Dr. Dan Brown, formerly on the faculty at Auburn University and the owner of Dan Brown and Associates, a specialty construction company firm with a focus on geotechnical and foundation engineering, and Martin McDermott, a former consulting engineer with Woodward Clyde, who has spent the past 25 years in deep foundation construction and is currently with Keller. We have two beasts from the industry. Morgan, can you give us a hint of what is in store for us? Thanks, Lucky. And today we're going to skip the undercard action and we're going straight to the main event with these two heavyweights. Uh, The premise we want to explore today is the perception of a potentially adversarial relationship between the geotechnical design engineer on one side, who's often working directly for the owner and tasked with their representing their interests, and then the deep foundation installer, who's often subcontracted to a construction manager through a separate contract. Now, we've gone over the rules pre-bout, gentlemen, and there's really only one ground rule to remember, and that's be respectful. I'll make sure each guest has time to speak and jump in for clarifications if needed. But other than that, let's have a good, clean bout and protect yourself at all times. And when you hear the bell, let's come out swinging. Are you both ready? Ready. Ready. Good. Like Apollo Creed said in Rocky Three, ding, ding. (laughs) <laughs> all right martin we're going to start with you has okay. it been has it been your experience that design Dan, are you ready to rumble bud i you know martin anybody that's watching this on video will see i'm a little nicked up i had a i had a run-in with uh, dr evil the dermatologist and his <laughs> death freeze ray gun but even if i'm not 100 percent, i'm confident i got enough to do the job today as uh what was it i ain't as good as i once was but i'm good once as i ever was and that's all that's needed all right okay morgan all right gentlemen martin i'm gonna start with you uh just in general not really any specific designers but has it been your experience that design engineers that you've interacted with understand foundation construction in general and can those designers adequately represent the owner's best interest uh, with limited insulation, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, or sorry, with limited experience in the installation process. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I would say that uh, designers really generally lack practical field experience. You know, they just haven't had a lot of it. Uh, and, you know, seeing is believing. So when you're out on a project and you're witnessing how that work is being executed, and then you you understand means and methods and a, and a lot deeper level. 
uh, I think just, uh, and that's, that's not, I, I think that's just uh, a fact. Uh, and it, it's, uh, the designer's world is, uh, I was part of it. It's the uh, all bowing to the almighty billable hour, you know, and uh, the billable hour are usually uh, accumulated behind the desk and not behind the back of a drill rig. So in general, I think that's, that's uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a fault, but I just think it's reality. Okay, I can appreciate that. Dan, on the other hand, looking at foundation contractors across the board, in, in your uh, experience, do they typically have a tendency to understand uh, and understand the importance, especially of the design process, or do they tend to gloss over items that they deem maybe unimportant or don't understand? So having been in consulting before moving over to the dark side, Martin, you should understand that, um, a lot of foundation contractors pretend not to know things about engineering when they do, and they do tend to gloss over items that is unimportant to the construction if it doesn't affect them or their bottom line. So a lot of times I think there is a, a tendency for contractors to just say, not my problem, doesn't affect mm -hmm. me, and move on, even though it, it it may jeopardize the performance of the foundation installation from a performance standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think contractors need to be a little bit more upfront and open in communicating with the design professionals, especially since I will concede that there are a lot of consultants that have very poor experience with construction. And you may be in a, you may be in a specialty construction area that only comes along for them mm. once, uh, you know, once every few years and you're doing it every day. So, you know, sure. give me a break. So, yep. Some of the guys are, uh, um, are being taken advantage of a little bit here by specialty contractors who do this day in and day out. And a geotechnical engineer may do it only once in, uh, in a rare occasion. So sticking along with that, Dan, uh, can, without getting too much into specifics, can we talk about a, a just an example of a potential memorable, I don't want to necessarily want to use the word conflict, but misunderstanding perhaps, or different ways of looking at the same uh, issue and what was the general nature of that? And where do you feel the contractor's view of the design process contributed to that? Well, I'll, I'll share a, a firsthand experience that I had. Uh, when we started my little engineering company a couple of decades ago, uh, one, first, one of our first big jobs, and I naively accepted that the contractor who was installing the foundations knew what the heck he was doing. Uh, he talked full of bluff and bluster like he did, but uh, the first foundation that was installed on the job was, of course, the test foundation, and it was totally messed up by the installation procedure. He didn't maintain a proper head. He over-excavated below the casing. We had ground subsidence all around. It was a total mess. Mm. And I learned a valuable lesson that don't, don't believe it. <laughs> don't, don't trust. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to Ronald Reagan. 
He said, trust, but verify, which really means don't trust and mm. verify. Mm -hmm. um, once, you know, once this disaster happened now, of course, the job is, is a mess and the owners, this was a design build project, of course. So the owner's engineers, now they're scrutinizing everything. You just made a mess that you're going to have to live with because now you've, everyone on the other side um, has lost their faith and trust. Mm. So we had to have, from my company, we had to have adult supervision out there just to make sure things were getting done the way they were supposed to get done so we wouldn't have a repeat. And we ended up having to do additional tests, et cetera. I will also say a lot of contractors have somebody at the top who talks a good talk, who knows a lot. And then you go out to the job site and this, the A team didn't show up. It was the F troop. If you remember that old TV show, they were, you know, these guys out in the field didn't, didn't hear Purple everything acorn. that was, they didn't hear everything that was said in the meeting and uh, they're blissfully unaware of promises that were made so i i'd say that was that was a memorable conflict to me and it's affected us that we we get in my company we definitely get involved in reviewing the installation plan and we require that there be some um some teeth in it that they explain what they're going to do and martin and i worked together on a job here recently up in new york a few years ago and we you know we collaborated and went through that and it worked out good i think we didn't have mm -hmm. any problems because everybody right. communicated and there was accountability mm -hmm. and recognizing that martin you know maybe talking about that or a potentially a you know a different example of a difference of opinion on a particular subject are there practical construction considerations that maybe you feel don't necessarily always get taken into account by the designers yeah and uh you know, just to follow on uh, a little bit, um, yeah, let, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? You know, there, we, we're all guilty in it in, in, uh, as, as contractors to some degree. Uh, and, it, you know, is it intent or, you know, just ignorance? You know, that, that is, <laughs> there's a pretty big gap there. But, you know, just to speak to uh, firsthand practical experience with a, you know, a public entity, uh, transportation entity in the Northeast, um, we were installing uh, nine foot diameter shafts. They were mono shafts. It was a big uh, interchange upgrade. So there's uh, large, uh, you know, flyover structures, active lanes of traffic, lane closures. It's really, you know, the logistics was extremely complicated. And um within this nine foot diameter shaft, eight and a half foot diameter rock socket, eight foot diameter cage, and then the cage. Uh, so that's your substructure. And then the it came up into the uh, column. And, uh, and then within, within that column, uh, the, the, it was probably, a, I think it was about a 12 foot projection uh, with, the, with the cage. So you had quite a monster to deal with there. And you had a, a three inch tolerance and location for your shaft, which was written into the spec. Uh, but that within the uh, superstructure, they had like an inch of tolerance, one and a half inch, I think it was, of clearance around the steel with the column. So when you positioned the column, 
on top of the shaft. And you're, if you're fewer two and a half inches out of location with your cage, your steel was like out of the, out of the column. And so we poured the first shaft and there, <clears throat> every gun in the room is pointed at, you know, who Mr. Contractor, you screwed this up. They shut the job down. And it was like, I had to report to the principal's office, you know, with the general contractor. And I mean, I literally walked into, you know, you know what the formation of a, you know, well, I'm not going to say what the firing squad was there. It's a circle, you know, I'm surrounded. And you, 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 what did you do? And I just clearly explained succinctly what my responsibility was with the shaft and the location of the substructure. And now we have this issue. The the problem was, you know, it, it wasn't thought through, you know, we didn't, you know, we had to take maybe some ownership of doing it right. But it was really, we needed to put in a, a larger diameter corrugated pipe. Uh, the other thing is, you're hanging a 40-ton cage, 50-ton cage. You know, when you hold it, it lays straight. But what happens when you lower it down? It goes, you know, it shifts. And if you don't have anything there to hold it where it needs to be, then, you you know, Houston, we got a problem. So... Um, you know, that we had to work and nobody makes money when that happens. So, you know, ounce of prevention, pound of cure, you know, these are, um, a, a lot of things. And, you know, I, I could go on on infinitum, uh, on, from e- each job to whatever, um, you know, a, a, another one from a design standpoint, there's another, uh, DOT, a DOT project. It was a karst environment had the borings and it was drilled shafts they weren't real huge they were four foot diameter with 42 inch rock sockets and uh in the uh issuing of the job they would do the test boring so test they had to do a test boring at every drilled shaft but it wasn't before the bid right so they go in they do these test borings and the criteria on the uh you know it's a solution prone limestone was uh, for 12 continuous feet, you would have 90% recovery and 40% RQD for 12 feet. If that didn't occur, continue. So these shafts were originally, say, 50 to 90 feet deep. And when they implemented that infinite loop statement, (laughs) we had a parking lot full of cores. And the designer asked me, so uh, what do you think uh, about 238 feet? And I said, I think you're losing your mind that this, that is not a good solution. So, and fast forward through a lot of challenges and problems on that job, uh, redesigned a micropile, which was a more practical solution in that case. Because I said, if we drill, uh, it was a, in a pier cap, 40 shafts, they were four foot diameter, it was a huge bridge cap. Uh, I said, after we're done your 228, 38 foot shaft, we're going to end up having to swallow up about four of uh, the other drilled shafts that we're going to be having to install. So it's just, it's not practical. Anyway, so, so that, 
but honing in back into something you'd mentioned and and Dan touched on it from the other side as well that I thought was interesting and it ties in with what I wanted to touch on as well the ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure from from your standpoint as a contractor going giving advice to a designer mm-hmm. from from that standpoint what is something that uh, in general designers could better understand that would reduce uh, the potential for misunderstandings, let's say. Uh, I think one of the most effective tools and Dan and I have participated uh, like through the, the ADSC, DFI, uh, these agencies where contractors and consultants can collaborate are, are that, that's the realm. And when you can do a constructability review with multiple contractors, it's so Martin McDerm- Martin McDermott Keller Foundation can't knock on you know Pennsylvania DOT door and tell them what they should do. That's that's like a no go. But the uh, constructability reviews where you have these uh, projects and industry, uh, us as contractors and consultants, making ourselves available to uh, go into that forum and and do a re- uh, constructability review of of a preliminary design. I think that's that is definitely an ounce of prevention that would be worth a, and has proven to be worth pounds of cure on different projects over the years. And Dan, I want to give you an opportunity to touch on that point as well, though. From a designer standpoint, is there something I don't want to say simple or basic, but is there something that the contractors could be better understanding that would again reduce the potential for misunderstandings uh, later on? Yeah, I, I'm going to first start off by agreeing with uh, what Martin said about constructability review, the value of that, and especially with a lot of DOTs. And I've even seen now uh, on a lot of big projects that we work on with design build, there's a little bit more uh, natural occurrence of that collaboration. Mm -hmm. And we've even worked on a project that was a, a CMGC, Construction Manager General Contractor, right? Where where we brought during the design phase, even though this was in Minnesota, Minnesota DOT is designing the job in-house, we're working for them, but they bring on a contractor, they select a contractor and bring on, so the contractor has input through the job. And you know, on private jobs, there's no reason not to do that. DOTs Mm -hmm. are laced with bureaucracy and rules and things that make some of that difficult as you're alluding to, but on private jobs, there's no reason not to do that and uh, get people involved. And so with respect to the contractors, um, I, w- I would just say uh, things that contractors could do better would be just think things through, be diligent. I mean, actually put some thought into the installation plan. Actually go look at the rock course <laughs> if, it's a, <laughs> if it's a foundation's going into rock or, uh, you know, I, just basically uh, uh be diligent about doing. I know there's a lot of economic pressure on contractors to low bid jobs, which is why, um, you know, the low bid process tends to, uh, tends to be a problem with that respect. You end up getting a contractor that's just trying to cut the most corners to give you the lowest price. So I think we need to be when a job, you know, a lot of jobs are routine too. So a lot of jobs are routine. You're banging H piles down to, bedrock okay that's a no-brainer kind of um 
but there are a lot of jobs when it's when there's some level of complexity then you really need to get people talking and the, the contractor can have some valuable ideas um that the that the designer doesn't think about mm. i know from design build world uh a lot of times we'll get into looking at a job and it's how you're going to build it is everything. It, and yeah. it's not the most, it's not necessarily the, the foundation design that gives you the most tons of support for the least dollars. It's schedule schedule is, is maybe everything access, sure. what kind of equipment you need. So, uh, you know, there's been jobs where say we thought oh, this would be a, maybe a good place to use a big oscillator machine. Well, if you got to build a trestle to get the oscillator machine out there and there's only a handful of shafts and, and an oscillator machine is puts out humongous force. So now you got to build a pretty stout bridge just to build a few foundations. Maybe that's not the best way to go. So a lot of times uh, the designers are um, a little bit, I will either unaware or not sufficiently aware of what's yeah. driving the job and if there can be some communication uh from the contractor that way and also an appreciation uh of what are the important things for the design there are some things you know that just because concrete disappeared into a hole in the ground does not mean it's okay we so we've got we've got jobs now where we do tests so the job martin you mentioned with 238 feet of limestone they obviously they didn't need to go that deep there's ways i mean micropiles maybe that's a good solution sure but there's ways to do things yeah there's ways to do things and uh in a more reasonable way and you know do a load test and prove it so let me retouch on something that both of you i think have kind of touched on and that's uh in our what i would call the traditional contract model for a project, the owner's design engineer and the owner's foundation installer are often working under two different contracts. Is that model, Dan, one of the prime drivers of conflict? Because you've alluded to this, uh, the, the benefits of a team approach, but that is not the traditional approach that we take to uh, constructing from the design phase through the construction phase of a project. So is that model inherently flawed and as a, as a way of that drives conflict between the two entities? Well, maybe, but there's ways to overcome it. And I would just say, oh, just saying, okay, do it design build and that solves all the problem. That doesn't either because people go into their silos just the same. Nobody wants to be blamed. As soon as there's a problem on the job, con the subcontractor starts blaming the designer the designer starts blaming the subcontractor and the general contractors in the middle, just saying, if it's either your fault or if it's not your fault, it's your fault. And so <laughs> I I've seen these quickly devolve into a battle when everybody goes into their own silo, but if you just, you know, can sit down and work as a team, I always say, when you start to encounter problems, if everybody will work together, kind of put, uh, kind of put the commercial issues aside insofar as you are able mm -hmm. and work together to to figure out what's the best solution going forward and you make it a small problem small problems are e more easily resolved than big problems because when everyone goes into their own silo you know you've got a problem with the specs and now the contractors 
recognizes there's a problem, the specification is inappropriate, like the first case Martin talked about. And the contractor says, oh, I've got to get out of jail free card. Not my problem. And then, mm -hmm. then people go into their own silos and start, you know, lobbing shells across at each other. And it doesn't lend itself to getting it sorted mm -hmm. out. Martin, how do you feel about the, the current, or I, I guess it's not always, and as you both have alluded to, we are doing more design build work in the industry. But again, looking at the traditional model of uh, the way the contracts are generally structured from the owner down, is there an inherent flaw there or do you agree with Dan that it can be worked that can work? Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, I've answered this question before this way, you know, it's the good news and it's the bad news. The good news is it's design build. The bad news is it's design build because now you're trying to hurt everybody. And it, you know, I thought it was going to be like Nirvana and it wasn't, it was not, it was uh, very um, difficult to uh, gain consensus. This is how we're going to go. This is how we're going to do it. Um, so, yeah, it's got a, it's, you know, it's just like, just like us. We're humans. We're flawed. You know, it has its flaws. Uh, but uh, whether it's that uh, delivery method or not, it's, uh, I think you nailed it there. And it's how do you build trust? You know, so that you're not, as uh, one of my superintendents used to say, you know, we're drilling a hole and he'd be like, man, what, what, what happened down there? And he said, Martin, I'm like a surgeon. I bury my mistakes. Right. And <laughs> it's like, that's, you know, we, we, it, it's better off, you know, if you can come clean, Hey, we're a contractor. We had a problem. Uh, you know, the tremmy pipe humped up at the bottom, you know? I'm the last guy in the world who wants to pour a dirty hole. And if we got a problem, then somebody needs to communicate it. My eyeballs aren't on it every time. Uh, you know, and it's a lot easier to fix that problem in a live situation than uh, pour and hope. Hope is not a good plan. You know, it just really is not a good plan. So, you know, Morgan, it's just a, um, so just how do we build trust within whatever team we're on? You know, if I'm representing, uh, you know, uh, Keller, we're doing a design build and we're, we're tasked with bringing the best, you know, the most efficient foundation system to the owner and getting that trust from the owner and, and his design team. That's, that's kind of the, how we try to roll. And we just try to get early involvement, you know, if it's, uh, I, I don't know that I'm answering your question uh completely but I, I, think, I, I, I think so i think both of you have essentially said that eat the both the traditional model and some of the newer ways that we're doing things are workable but the reality is it just comes down to some form amount of communication and trust uh, yes. amongst the amongst the team regardless of, of how the contracts are actually structured mm -hmm. so that's a, a good place for us to conclude with round one um it's time for us to take a break and All right, and we're back for round two. We're gonna swap things up a little bit. And instead of talking about conflict directly, we're gonna talk about specifications. Uh, Martin, we're gonna start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference from a contractor's perspective on the differences between 
performance versus prescriptive specifications and given your choice, which one would you rather work on as a contractor? Oh, performance by far. Uh, we, um, you know, when we, when we are, can control the, like the design aspect of the project and what's the right foundation solution and demonstrate what the capability is and design a test to, you know, I love, it's the, uh, failure is success in that test. If you can fail and move an element and measure ultimate capacity, that, that to me is the beautiful irony of what we, what we can do from a performance standpoint. And, you know, we've, then we've established the guidelines of means and methods for installation, quality of the concrete, you know, how long does the concrete need to be of, uh, you know, at least a four inch slump requirement, the steel, um, getting an efficient number of bars that causes the least amount of blockage of the flow of concrete, just all those elements uh, 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 are, that, that's where a lot of, we get tripped up. Um, and, and the project that I spoke of earlier, where we had the location issue, that was a you know prescriptive. We did everything that the spec said and ended up wrong and, you know, and commercially, it was really a, a big problem for us. Uh, but we were, that's, that's the issue. Uh, a dear friend of ours in the industry uh, put it so well, John Roma, right? They're more interested in the process than the product, right? And I mean, that was like, uh, you know, that is so true, you know, oh. You're in the middle of the night, you're pouring 200 cubic yards of concrete, the slump is over, the truck's over 90 minutes, and that's 95 minutes. It's like, no, you cannot use that concrete. And it's like, listen, this is, here, here's a, the test that can demonstrate that it's, the concrete is fine. Uh, and the prescriptive uh, terms just handcuff you, you know, put the cuffs on. So, so Dan... Dan, on your, from your perspective, are there times, though, that a prescriptive specification is more warranted? They say they want performance specifications, but they don't do it right. <laughs> performance means how do you know that you're going to get the performance on every shaft? So like the contractor, the contractors that I've dealt with, their idea of performance specification is, okay, I'll go out and put in a load test pile and now leave me alone. Let me do all the rest of them however I want. That's not the way it works. <laughs> we don't have a way of measuring performance on every, you know, if, you, well, if you're paving a road and you say you can have a performance specification based on the ride quality of the completed project. With a foundation, it's not going to get the loads on it that it's designed to have. And so mm. how do you know that you're going to have the performance on every pile on the job if you haven't tested every pile on the job? The only way is if you test a representative number of them and then you establish a prescriptive specification that will achieve those performance requirements. And that prescriptive, so I'm saying, okay, the contractor could have some leeway to influence the prescriptive specifications, but it's hard mm. to measure performance on 
on foundations. I see, I see uh, auger cast contractors and you go out and they're, you know, they're going <laughs> to, you're, you're looking guilty there, Morgan. They, they, they put in a test, they put in a test pile and you know, the grout is 60% overrun. And then all the production piles, it's 10% overrun. You know, they're pumping the crap out of that test pile because they know it's a test pile. So no, go put in a bunch of piles and I'll pick the ones we want to test. So, so you know, from that with, with driven piles, it's maybe a little bit more easy, but with drilled foundations, mm. not so much. You have to, you can have a performance requirements, but then you have to establish an installation procedure a process for acceptance and you know the rock if you're putting drill shafts into rock the rock at one place might be different than another place mm -hmm. uh, the the stratigraphy changes you know you you might want to decide to use different tools or something I, you know you've got to commit to the to to something that mm -hmm. so you could in order to get acceptance on a performance specification you have to come up with a process that will establish an acceptance criteria and then you have to have a quality control plan in place that will satisfy everything and then there has to be a quality assurance plan in place so that's an interesting point that you bring up because a lot of what you've described under the prescriptive specification has to do with observation and quality control is either the original geotechnical design or the site characterization which often makes foundation recommendations or the actual prescriptive specification, should that ever include the equipment, let's say for a drill shaft or an auger pile, should that include the power of the turntable uh, that's driving the rotation of the tooling? Or should that be left to the contractor to some extent, given another set of prescriptive testing? I can't say never, and I can't say always. I would say, Sometimes it's appropriate. If you've got a lot of experience in the area and you know, like, uh, like you're, you, like you're putting auger cast piles into Florida limestone or something, and you come out there with a, a an underpowered rig, it's going to meet refusal before a more powerful rig would. So, you know, if you're using something like that to, you know, you know, you're trying to get, uh, embedment into, uh, a lime rock formation or something, then, you know, you, maybe you set some parameters. Otherwise, if you've got a, this is a benefit of having a test pile program up front on the job. If you've got mm. a test program, then you can, you can offer some leeway and you can establish that as part of the test program. And then a contractor has, has input into it. So to me, the, where I feel sympathy for a lot of designers is that they develop recommendations and then they don't get retained on the job. I've seen some huge lawsuits and litigation problems because the guy that designed the job wasn't out there after construction started. And when a problem happened, somebody who was not involved in making the design was making decisions about what's accepted, what's acceptable or not acceptable. And they're just reading the specs like it's a, you know, like it's a menu and uh, have no clue what's important, what's not important. And, and so, we could probably have an entire other uh, rumble about <laughs> the disconnect between being the design engineer and the quality, getting uh, the construction testing portion of the uh, 
of the I'm project. Hot now, Martin, yeah. I may knock out the referee. <laughs> so, but Martin, I do want to ask you the same thing, though, from a contractor's perspective. And you, you, like you've alluded to, you have been a consultant before. You spent mm -hmm. many years now as a contractor. Should there ever be specific equipment recommendations in a either a prescriptive spec or going back as far as the original site characterization with their foundation recommendations? You know, I. I don't think it's uh, a bad idea to specify a minimum rig size for for the job. What the expectation is for whether it's a drill shaft or CFA, because you know, really the the uh, the torque and the horsepower of the machines are, you know, there there's a there's a band there, and you your your expectation is that it comes up to this level, and I think that actually that can that can help level the field for the contractors too. It, so everybody's yeah, showing up to the party I, with the same thing. I was about to add, Martin, that it helps protect you yeah. from some uh, Joe Blow yeah. uh, subcontractor coming yeah. in and yeah, coming in with some you know dangle yeah. drill and you know. <laughs> as someone said earlier, it helps keep out the riffraff. As we... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah all right, so. Uh, turning maybe the mirror onto yourself a little bit, uh, Martin, from a, uh, again, a former consultant who's now uh, been, a, again, a contractor for, a, you know, number of number of years. How do mm -hmm. we reverse the stereotype uh, or how do contractors reverse the stereotype that in particular foundation contractors are not an adversary to the owner that are just looking to get in with the lowest possible bid price and then start hitting change orders to maximize their, their profit? Um, I, you know, I, I think I can speak for the majority of contractors, subcontractors in this business that, you know, they're, they have some self-respect and that there's, there's a level of quality, you know, that you want to bring, you know, I, I, I personally don't want to be associated with a, with a bad, a bad job or a bad hole or, you know, and it does happen. I mean, we're not perfect. We've made our mistakes, but it's, do you own it? And do you own it early enough? And you, do you try to correct it? It's really difficult to get in the side, inside the brain of say some of uh, our competition that they, you know, is it apathy or ignorance? They don't know and they don't care. Uh, so I, I don't know how any of us can can deal with that uh, or, you know, what what's the right solution to that. But, you know, I think through our respective trade organizations and the communication, you know, we, we you know, it, it, we need to float all the boats and rise, uh, raise the level of expectation. Um, so. I'm, I'm, I'm open to do that. I've been active in the, in, in our industry and, and that's, uh, um, you know, if, if, if my competitor pours a bad hole, guess what I get? The same black eye. Look at that. There's a crappy shaft. We're not ever going to design a drill shaft. We're never going to put all your gas. You, you know, and then six months, 12 months, maybe two years later, you know, amnesia comes in, but everybody, I, I have suffered. I surely have. Um, and, you know, Philadelphia, there's a historically bad shaft sport poured under the, uh, federal uh courthouse that settled inches and you know it, it, drill shaft design and that, you know what that was i think it was really just uh, a combination of 
uh, it was probably poor construction. It was probably, you know, soft bottoms that caused it to settle. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still paying the price. So the bearing capacities and uh, so that I'm kind of rambling on that answer, but it's, uh, I, I learned through uh, working in the industry, you know, it's, it, it's better to know your competitor, okay, than to curse them. And, and share the knowledge. I think that's an interesting point about the trade organizations and sharing the knowledge, especially. And Dan, I do want to uh, give you a chance to sort of look at the same question from a uh, designer's perspective. Obviously, as contractors, sometimes we're guilty of coming out onto the site and seeing the representative of the designer, the inspector, and immediately thinking they're our adversary. However, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason <laughs> what is this something that you would talk if you were talking to a room full of your your engineering designer peers that you would say would be a, a, one thing that you could do to reverse that stereotype that it's not just paper engineering um and that you don't necessarily you understand that there's not going to be perfection firstly i would say we have to recognize we have a problem i would say in uh design professions we have a problem because the projects are getting more and more complex more specialized there's you know eight gajillion different kinds of ground improvement technologies out there and instead of uh trying to just pass off responsibility and and uh put disclaimers in the report and say and and instead of saying the in the geotechnical report, well, it could be anything from loose ground to boulders to hard rock to soft soil. <laughs> and, uh, and, and by the way, you can't rely on the borings as a contract document. I mean, that, that's all nonsense. So I would say to my colleagues that we have to step up and, and be better and hold ourselves accountable and uh, demand to be engaged throughout the construction I think this should be part of the codes. I know that ASCE is working on a new code. I mean, it'll be, it'll be a long time coming perhaps, but um, we have to take this seriously about uh, involvement of the design professional through construction and the design professionals have to take seriously their responsibility to put forth a constructible design that can be built. that doesn't have mm. boo-boos in it. And, um, and, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, a little bit out of your comfort zone in understanding what is it going to take, you know, reach out to people hire it. We should have independent third-party reviews of not just, uh, for technical correctness, but also for constructability and viability, mm. you know, and is this the, the best solution, especially when the projects are are difficult. There should be, and we should welcome that, not resent it. And lastly, I will say differing site condition is not your fault. <laughs> if you did a reasonable program of soil borings or cone penetration or whatever it is, you did a reasonable job and you encounter something that's different than was anticipated, that's what differing site condition clauses were put there to resolve hmm. in a straightforward way it doesn't mean you made a mistake because there's a dsc claim by the contractor e evaluate that 
reasonably and responsibly and come to a solution. And when there's a problem, try to work together to get to a root cause of it. <clears throat> Don't go into your silo. Or your neutral corner. So, yeah, after I've beaten you to a pulp, Martin, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, he's not such a bad guy. It's going to be like the uh, MMA fight where the two guys hugged after the end of the uh, <laughs> nice, the sweaty, bloody hug. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, but that does, it's, and we're going to wrap up here shortly, but say, Martin, you, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we don't like on one side, but also looking at uh, ourselves, what we could do a little bit better from a building a consensus standpoint. Could we, could you elaborate on a little bit of what, uh, from your perspective, what Dan's talked about from, are we talking about this, the good site characterization, even if it's separate contracts, the level of communication, at what point do you feel like you need to be brought on board and start having that collaboration with the, mm. with the design engineer to avoid conflicts? Well, I simply state it the earlier, the better, uh, you know, as a, as a contractor, uh, that, that, that's what, that's what I seek any early involvement in a project that we get involved and we can help guide, uh, there's, it's the preliminary investigation, go into a final investigation and then, uh, just get a, what you think, um, you know, what, what are your foundation options? Um, uh, so I, you know, it's building the relationships, building the trust within the design community, um, and, uh, that, that makes your phone ring to say, Hey, what, what can you do? And just remind everybody that you can reach out to, uh, you know, your trade organizations, because that's, that's, that's the ambassador that gives you the, the, uh, uh for, for public entities to get, get some input, uh, from, uh, without getting, uh, any, uh, I guess, what am I saying? Um, whatever those clauses are within a contract, you know, they can't, it's got to be. Uh, sure. Yeah. And, and Dan, uh, looking at it from your perspective, sort of closing that out to try to bring the foundation contractor in early and develop that level of communication with the design team and the owner. Uh, is it, uh, I mean, I think I know the answer, but how do you help protect in this new world when a lot of uh, the innovations are coming from the uh, installers during the bid process, ensuring that their best ideas are not going to then be turned around and be shopped around um, mm. is it, as part of the protecting the owner's interests from that standpoint that you, you assure that they're going to get rewarded for those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's certainly above my pay grade, <laughs> you know, because I've seen that happen, yep. uh, but to try to have a process whereby you can have that, uh, that level of collaboration, if you can pre-select the, the contractor on design build, if we've got like a sub, a foundation subcontractor as part of the team, rather than the low mm. bid guy that the general contractor gets afterwards, then that, that helps. If it's CMGC, it works nicely, even on a mm -hmm. private job, even on a private job, you know, you can you can uh, select a subcontractor and then you can kind of work through some refinements on the design. So and 
with respect to like the the level of the site investigation if everybody's on board with how you're going to do quality control quality assurance and how you're going to uh, develop an acceptance um, criteria for installing the foundations that that goes hand in hand with the level of site investigation so martin you yeah. i re recall a, a project you and i worked together on and we were debating how how many borings to do and if we did boring at every pier if we did yeah. boring at every column location well we could we could determine more reliably how long this permanent casing was going to be and all, mm -hmm. how long the cage would have to be yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. i'm like well, we spend a bunch of money doing borings and you'll have a better idea or or you just come up with a way to be more flexible mm. so if we can accommodate <laughs> right. some uncertainty you know the stratigraphy wasn't that bad okay maybe you go, if you just will accept and not get mad at me because the mm -hmm. casing had to go three feet deeper than was shown on the right. drawings then okay then we can cut out a lot of those borings because we're doing a exploration at every hole anyway and we're going to we're going to do a verification based on the inspection so mm -hmm. those kind of things you know if you work collaboratively then you can work out uh a a better overall solution i totally agree with that you know that the just having that communication collaboration open lines give and take what do you think and uh you know and the truth was if you're you're, you're hanging you know 50 tons of steel up in the ground and you're gonna king kong vibrate it down and you know oh we'll just buy an extra 10 feet well no, no that's we we want to be as yeah it's what's it what's it what's it what's worth, worth to you, you? Yeah. yeah i mean we're right here keep going you know and that's it. Excellent. That's the end of round two. Uh, but before we send it back to Lucky for our <laughs> post-match wrap-up and perhaps determine a winner, I think really we all won here today. It was like a Fat Albert episode. Um, but I want to thank both of you guys, uh, Mark hey, and hey, Dan, hey. For, for being our inaugural participants in this new podcast. Hopefully our audience got as much out of this as I did listening to it. Uh, it's two people I have a lot of admiration for as again, coming from the consulting side um, with Dan, but also being in the contracting side uh, along with Martin. So I, again, mm -hmm. thank you both for being here and taking the time to, uh, to educate all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Morgan, I should say, both fighters came out swinging. Um, we could not have chosen better speakers for our first Rumble episode, I would say. Um, they both brought their, uh, brought their enthusiasm and spirit, for sure. Uh, Martin was committed and <laughs> even brought his soil mittens. That's what I want to call it, you know, not the boxing gloves, but soil mittens um, and uh, a woolen, woolen cap into the game. Um, got a little physical. I could see Martin kind of trying to punch uh, Dan a couple times in the uh, episode. Um, there was no blood spilled, uh, but overall, Martin gave Dan a good fight, I would say. Um, best thing about uh, uh, Dan and Martin um, is that they have been in the industry for a very long time, kind of fostering, mentoring uh, the foundation industry, I would say. Also, they have been uh, longtime friends. I'm sure 
they have been on dark side, better side, <laughs> you know, at times. Um, so while uh, listening to their, uh, you know, um, rumble on the topic that we chose, um, there was a lot of points that actually resonated with me. Their opinions on designers versus contractor working on complex big design build projects were really valuable to me. Um, and uh, when it comes to conflict, performance, quality versus reality, and specification, they expressed it spectacularly. Bottom line in all of this, I would say um, they mean, they should mean, I should say, they should mean the same to both, right? If you think about it. Um, and uh, designers and contractors can collaborate and should collaborate in my uh, opinion as well. Dan and uh, uh, Martin made it very clear that there should be collaboration within different contractors and you know engineers and also with the industry a few times during the episode, which was right on. Um, you know, and this is exactly how we can put forth the constructability design for the success of the project. This is definitely word of wisdom, I would say. Um, you know, sometimes we see this happening on projects, sometimes we don't see this happening, but this is the recipe for success, I would say. Um, the discussion on specification was very, very meaningful for me. Coming from equipment uh, manufacturing and supplying side, I can see how better to know your competition and also sharing knowledge can work for all involved. Um, overall, I will say fantastic job, Dan and Martin. Right, Morgan? I absolutely agree. We probably couldn't have had two better guests to start off this uh, uh, new podcast. Thanks, Morgan, for refereeing. Um, thanks, Dan. And uh, thanks, Martin, for giving a good fight. Uh, truly enjoyed. Um, this concludes our first episode of DFI Rumble. Listeners, don't forget to comment who won in the arena. Was it designer? Was it contractor or the industry? Looking forward to seeing that. See you next time. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.